Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The deficit is $2 trillion. Let me say that again for those of you playing the home game. The deficit is $2 trillion, or it's going to be. That's what the Washington Post put out into the world over the weekend. They put it there on the uh, on the Twitter box, on the Xbox, on the X Twitter. I don't know what they call the thing. But it was uh, Brian Riedel who posted it that says that the deficit in 2023 is going to uh, double what it was in 2022. The deficit was a trillion dollars in 2022. And the Biden administration was crowing about how they lowered the deficit. No, they didn't. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, he never lowered the deficit. Never once, never ever. What happened was, was there was a tremendous amount of spending in 2020 and 2021. Deficit spending was $3.1 trillion in 2020 and $2.8 trillion in 2021. I agree. Way too much. Said so then, say so now. In 2022, that spending went away. Therefore, the deficit went down comparatively speaking, from that 2.8 to the 1 trillion. That was not Biden policy. That was the end of spending. And now the deficit is going to go up by another trillion dollars. Why would I ever believe? Why would any rational person ever believe that inflation is going to go down? Of course inflation is not going to go down. Yet when you talk to all of these people in the Biden administration, they'll all tell you about how Bidenomics is great and Bidenomics is is growing the economy and the middle class is doing great. No, it's not. Yet here is MSNBC, I think it's Joe Kernan asking the question to uh, one of uh, Biden's uh, acolytes there, uh, Bernstein on on his economic council. If you ask them individually about certain things, they're more optimistic. But only one third consistently of Americans think, buy into your contention that Bidenomics is working. So you got to come okay, on. Well, you might maybe you need to come on every day because it's not working. <laughs> your message. Well, uh, I, uh, I certainly don't have the uh, luxury of doing that. But let me uh, talk a little bit about Bidenomics and people's sentiment about it. I think the polls that you're reflecting are oftentimes very much 30 or 40,000 feet up. I'm not discounting them, by the way. I know they're real. But I want to tell you a little bit about some poll results that ask about the specific components of Bidenomics, okay? 82% support capping insulin costs for seniors at $35 a month. 81% support giving Medicare the power to negotiate for lower prescription drugs, which... Gas prices, egg prices, housing prices, what are you talking about? You're trying to change the subject about what it is that we're spending. Of course, 82% of people would favor capping the cost of nearly anything. But that doesn't mean that Bidenomics is working. If you told people that you were going to have zero cost, you get 98% of the people who agree with you. You just never get 100%. They keep moving and moving and moving the goalposts. But you know that this economy isn't working and you pay more for everything. Keep yourself right here. I'm Tony Katz. IU does not have a quarterback. 
I'm not happy about the fact that they don't have a, a, a quarterback. I am just stating a fact that IU does not have in any way, shape, or form a quarterback. In the 23-3 loss, 23-2-3, that is Ohio State had 23 and IU had three, you take a look at the box score and you realize that the total passing was 9 for 20 for 82 yards. Taven Jackson, I think I pronounced it Taven, uh, he has a quarterback rating of 9.3. This, kids, is an issue. Well, Tony was just Ohio State. That's what you say. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, what's going on? JMV joins us from 93.5-1075 The Fan in Indianapolis. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, I don't know what game is worse, uh, Ohio State uh, just destroying IU or Purdue losing the Fresno State, but let's start with IU and then we'll compare the games. Uh, I'm right. They don't, as of yet, have a quarterback at all, do they? No, no, they don't have an offense either. You know, what's interesting about it, if you could make a combination platter here and put the IU defense with the Purdue offense, you might have something that's representative of being able to to win some games in the Big Ten. But, you know, as it stands right now, you don't have a defense with the Boilermakers, as we saw. It was going to come down to the last team that had the football that ultimately was, was Fresno State on Saturday. And then IU, as you, I thought, so rightly mentioned, with Walt Bell as the offensive coordinator and going back between Soresby and, and Taven at quarterback, yeah, no offense whatsoever. And I'll, I will say this, Tony, that defense on Saturday against Ohio State deserves so much better than what it actually got. I mean, think about that. 10-3 at the half, that was a gift field goal right before the half. I mean, you're hanging in there. Marvin Harrison Jr., everybody talks around him like he's going to be you know, the savior of all saviors had, what, two catches in that game? And you can make the argument that Ohio State really didn't need it. I mean, they didn't put that much pressure on whatever. But, no, I use defense hung in with absolutely zero support from the IU offense. And I'll be honest with you, Tony, I don't know where they're going to find it. I mean, I don't know where they're going to find, you know, a passing game. Maybe they do, but I don't know where they're going to find it as it stands right now. And you know, Friday night, Indiana State, maybe you find a little something, feel good about that. But uh, certainly – it was disappointing all the way around. Defensively for Purdue on Saturday, offensively for IU on Saturday, both losers. Marvin Harrison Jr., by the way, two receptions, 18 yards. Um, that, that's, that's what, I don't know how many targets he had, but that's what he had in the game. Um, yeah. Defensively, you liked what you saw from IU? Yeah, you know what? I think they also took advantage of a, a first-time quarterback. Um, you know, Ohio State's trying to, to find their niche. Um, after C.J. Stroud there. There's no doubt about that. But what a great time to be able to take advantage of it if your offense, you know, had, had any will to do anything whatsoever. And that was what's so disappointing about it all. It's, you know, whether you're talking about the two quarterbacks, which we mentioned, uh, but I mean, the offensive game plan just kind of seemed uh, rather uh, remedial, I guess. Is that the word to say? I, I mean, just very – very too simple, I think, to continue to ram your head into something where you knew you were not going to have a positive outcome. It kind of seemed like that's what IU did offensively there. And I, I know that Walt Bell mentioned after the game, maybe it was yesterday too, mentioned uh, that he, he uh, played patty cake or pity patted around way too much. Um, yeah, listen, the, the offense was bad because the quarterback play wasn't any good, but the offense design wasn't any good either and that's problematic moving forward just as much as the quarterback situation is 
Uh, takes us to Purdue and Fresno State, 39-35. Uh, in uh, the, the, the loss uh, on this one, if I take a look at the box score and I take a look at the fact that Hudson Card was 17 for 30, 254 yards, two touchdowns, somebody wasn't catching the ball like they were supposed to, or he wasn't getting the ball where he needed to like he was supposed to, this isn't a story of uh, Boilermaker offense not doing their job, is it? No, no, no. I mean, listen, they, they got, what, special teams play as well? Got to play um, at least one play defensively. That was about, I think they had one defensively. But anyway, this is more about Tony the defense. It, it certainly is. And I think what you saw, and this was a conversation we'd had and I'd had with others leading up to the start of the season, that was going to be a question mark because it has for a while for Purdue – and you get into a shootout with a team like Fresno State that had won, I think, nine consecutive games dating back to last year, really good offense, Keen's a really good quarterback, and you thought that that was going to be problematic, and it certainly was. You just thought that, you know, if Purdue could come up with a big stop um, at some point that they would because it's the home opener. Here's the problem that I had. When you look back on it, they gave up so many third and long plays, so so many third and long opportunities where you're thinking, man, is this a good opportunity for the, the defense to get this offense off the field only to see Fresno State convert? So that was the biggest issue to me. And, and where that is, that all lies in that secondary. And you can make the argument not enough pressure being put on the quarterback, that's okay. But the secondary is a big-time struggle. Just way too many chunk plays, especially on third down, given up by Purdue Saturday, Tony. Um, when you look at this and you take a look at, at the at the new coach, do you say, all right, this is a sign of a problem? Or is this the sign of, hey, sometimes you lose. Uh, sometimes you, your team has to figure out what they're made of to be able to to fight through and and be victorious in the in these tight games is this a conversation about coaching or is this a conversation of ah, they don't have the players and they did the best battle they could well it's certainly a sign of a problem because you know you're looking at your number one uh here with a new coach and you know you're trying to sift through what is good and what isn't so far but the problem is that they're they're uh the schedule doesn't really allow them to do that tony i mean they they got Virginia Tech coming up in Blacksburg, I believe, this weekend. Um, Syracuse coming up on the schedule as well. And they start out the Big Ten play tough. They've got a really difficult schedule. And this was one, if they were going to squeeze out at least six wins this year and become bowl eligible, this was a game that I think everybody thought that they really needed to have. And that's what's so disappointing because they were right there. I mean, you take the lead. If you can just get one stand defensively and close it out, and they couldn't do it. So, yeah, I don't know if it's as much about coaching in week number one as it is just about that defense kind of what we thought it was going to be in week number one. They just don't have time. Like IU, for example, they're not going to get to six wins. Don't get me wrong. But you've got Indiana State on the schedule. You've got Akron coming up on the schedule. Purdue's schedule early on does not give them that particular benefit. So it's going to be – they're going to have to man up and get off the carpet a little bit here if you're the Boilermakers, especially against Virginia Tech. And it just seems like that that's going to be a tough possibility with the way that defense surrendered so easily most of the time this past Saturday against Fresno State. Talking to JMV, he's the voice of sports in Indiana, and it is important to, to remember, you know, um, you had uh, that touchdown run. Do I pronounce it Maccabee? 
Is that how I pronounce yes. his name? Devin right. Mockabee from Boonville High School. That's in Warwick County, Look down along the river in southern Indiana. Look yeah. at you. Puts him up 35-32. <laughs> that was with four minutes and 36 seconds left. And with a minute left, uh, Fresno State scores. So you you couldn't – this defense could not hold Fresno yeah. State for for three minutes, never mind four minutes and 36 seconds. They just couldn't do it. Um, yeah, it, but, it, and it's all chunk plays. So many, so many chunk plays. You look back on, you know, especially on third down, the chunk plays that Fresno State, you know, made offensively. That, that's disturbing. You know, no matter if you're a you know, first-time head coach, because you know, again, th- these are you know home games in which if you're going to reach six, you really had to get, and you know that was really a big part of the disappointment about what was Saturday there. Let's bring it over to the Colts, who will start uh, this season. Uh, they've got the game against uh, Jacksonville. Um, that will be a uh, home uh, game uh, on uh, on Sunday, a, a one o'clock game. We still don't have a running game per se. Uh, Zach Moss is like, hey, he's, he's certainly uh, out there with the guys, but he isn't running any plays. That broken arm needs time to heal. There's no sign of Jonathan Taylor or any kind of agreement uh, wh- what whatsoever. What is the take in the locker room? What's the feel as they get ready for Sunday? Well, I mean, the feel is running game-wise, when you look, I think, on, on average with and without um, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, you're going you know, nearly 40 yards a game uh, better with than you are without. So uh, we already know that that's going to be problematic. I, I kind of look at it this way. If you're looking for a little bit of positivity from a Colts standpoint, is that it, it's, it's going to be a feel it out for defenses certainly early on, like Jacksonville. You know, against you know Anthony Richardson and what this offense is going to look like, and I guess if you want to look at you know, positivity, you can look on the other side of things. If you can get after Trevor Lawrence a little bit, I think Cam Robinson may be out. I'll have to check the stat sheet, but I believe he is out the left tackle. Uh, so their offensive line may not be what it is supposed to be. And and really, you got a couple of guys in Quiddy Pay and Dio Adengbo that you would like to see be able to start rushing the quarterback more consistently than they have. And certainly, if you're going to look at I commonly viewed uh, the best attribute of this team would be that defensive line. So you might be able to do some things there. You might be able to hit them with some surprises that they haven't seen on tape offensively yet, certainly uh, at the quarterback position. But it, it seems like a lot to overcome. I mean, it really does. Because when you look at this roster, Tony, the roster is just not good. And I, I think for the first time in a long time, you can really see the Colts demonstrating that it is more about how they are playing for the quarterback and the development of the future, even with this whole thing with Jonathan Taylor, which is silly, but the development of the future right now more than actually going for it within the AFC South. You know, last year bringing in the old man, Ryan, they were going for it. The year prior, Carson Wentz, they were going for it. The year before that, you know, Phillip Rivers, they were going for it. It didn't seem like they're going for it this year. They're going for it years down the road. But in week number one, it's always tough. Two things stand out. One is nothing's on tape offensively, so the Colts could be, by virtue of surprise, if they can execute some things, be right there. And the fact that NFL games are always so stinking close, Tony. Look at last year. Just such a disaster with Jeff Saturday when he was anointed the interim head coach. And when you look at it, there's like five games that they should have won. I mean, you look at you know Minnesota, yeah. you look at Dallas, you look at Washington, you look at Philadelphia here. And he wins two, and he's still the coach. I mean, the margin for error is just not that wide. So a chance, yeah. Do I think that they're going to have a great season? No. But a chance, certainly in week one, they will have at home. 
I look, I, you you you've talked about this before that this is very possibly for the Colts nothing more than a build year and get their yeah. quarterback into a place to feel comfortable. Um, the the question is always to me the fan base. I listened intently to Chris Ballard talking about the Jonathan Taylor situation. It sucks for Jonathan Taylor. It sucks for the Colts. It sucks for the fans. And I walked away from hearing that saying, yeah, I don't believe him at all. And yeah. and, and, and I, I agree. I, I would agree if someone said, Tony, you've got yourself a problem with, with Chris Ballard. You just don't like the dude. It's true. I don't. Nothing about him comes across as earnest or honest with me. But that could be my problem, and I have to start seeing it differently. Did that come across, that whole speech from from uh, Chris Ballard, the general manager, about Jonathan Taylor, now that we've had a few days to kind of digest that, marinate on that, did that come across as a guy trying to be honest and connect with the fans or a guy desperately trying to get out of the conversation, please don't bother me, kid? Oh, that was it was part, it was part political. I mean, you deal with this every day, so you know you can judge between when you're actually being told the truth and when somebody's putting some political spin on it. There was a lot of political spin on that, Tony. There's no doubt about it. Here's why. You go back to that preseason game when Jim Mercer was in the booth and was asked about that, and at the tail end he said, well, it's going to be up to Chris Ballard to calm the waters. I think that was the quote, calm the waters. That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. And maybe, just maybe you give this thing two weeks, sit on it for a little bit, um, see if if you can cool – Jonathan Taylor down and then go back at it with, with calmer heads. But no, that was, that was political. And I'll give you another reason why you don't like him. And I, I battle with this too, because I, I like everybody, but in terms of how I judge, I judge on performance, right? We all judge on performance and his performance through six years have been awful. I mean, they just one playoff win in six years, awful. So we judge that, and we judge why in the world he is still there to go into a seventh year because he certainly hasn't been winning-wise and production-wise deserving of that. And that's how you manufacture a belief of how the person is. He's, he's a fine dude. He really is. But it's up to me. It's up to you, just like you do on your show every day, your couple of shows every day. We judge on performances. And that performance hasn't been there, and unfortunately – that's how you look at the dude. I mean, you look at it more than just whether or not you believe uh, his personality is, you know, or he's a political view, or he's full of crap, or whatever. We judge it on performance, and the performance hasn't been there, and that's where a lot of people are going to struggle with this year. Even though we know they're going to lose, and it's about the development of the quarterback, you know, it's going into year number seven, and nobody in the NFL stays around at this point with this level of production with the exception of one, and he's right here in Indianapolis, and you have the right to feel the way that you feel. Well, thank you. Thank yes. you. But, yeah, I, no, but no, I'm no, one of these makes, believers. It makes sense. I believe that yeah. I should always check it to make sure I'm not letting any quote-unquote feelings get in the way of, of reality. It's, it's, I think, pretty important. I don't think that happens enough, but if you're telling me that I'm right, well, then I'll, hey, I'll, hey, I'll hey, take Tony, that to I, the I bank. One more thing. Before I hopped on here, I mentioned I was watching Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Right. Chris would be really good in that. He would be really good with, with Shelly, Shelly the Machine Levine, and Ricky Roma. He'd be really good in that room right there. He would. Wow. That is not a compliment <laughs> at all. Damn. <laughs> he, seriously, he can, he can talk. He can talk and make a believer out of you. But at some point, we've got to see the results yeah. and that's how you look at it that's how i look at it and and uh, and, and honestly at this stage of the game maybe he could use the good leads 
That is JMV from 93.5107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you, JMV. As always, more is coming up. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. truly seems to me that the Indiana Democratic Party is desperate for me to have content. They are they write tweets, posts on X, and they're like, how can we ensure this helps Tony really, really fill like multiple segments of his radio programs? What can we do to help Tony out today? I swear to you, they're not paid writers, but at this stage, maybe they deserve an honorarium. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything I do at TonyKatz.com, that's K-A-T-Z. If you didn't know how to spell it, now you do. This was their post for Labor Day, and the Indiana Democratic Party is... um, Constantly remind you, reminding you that Hoosiers don't matter. Only the national scene matters. Remember, these are the people who are very fine with running a race for mayor in Indianapolis, for example, by saying, hey, let's focus on abortion. What does that have to do with jobs, safety, security, potholes? What, what does that have to do with with a growing and vibrant downtown where Indianapolis leads the way for the rest of the state, being, of course, the capital of the state and the, the largest tourist area of the state. What what does that do? Well, but but abortion is, is what we're all about. What about jobs? Abortion is what we're all about. What about safety? Abortion is what we're all about. And you're like, my gosh, this is parody. This is fantastic how little they actually care about Hoosiers. And because... I just want to be clear. They they do not care about Hoosiers. They just don't. Let me give you the latest. This was their support of Labor Day, where they've got a they got a little graphic here, and they got somebody dressed as a doctor, and someone dressed as a chef. I think this person's supposed to be like a UPS uh, driver, and then uh, I think that's a sanitation worker, and this is a uh, I don't know, maybe a checkout person, and then then there's a nurse. I'm pretty sure that's a nurse there in 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 this one and then it says happy labor day the tweet reads today we honor working hoosiers democrats are fighting to increase union membership and jobs because when we stand together we all do better happy labor day indiana union jobs a reminder for those of you who don't understand the level of, uh, some people would call it hypocrisy, uh, some people would call it just outright lying. These are the same people who supported telling nurses, the same nurses who risked their lives for over a year during COVID, that if they didn't get vaccinated, they'd be fired. The Indiana Democratic Party, through this post, is stating out loud very clearly for the world to, to, to hear. It is a proclamation screamed from the mountaintops. And the pen became a clarion, if we're going to quote H.L. Mencken. The Indiana Democratic Party does not care about you at all, frontline workers. 
I'm saying that, and I put that out as a response. They don't give a damn about you. You're a nurse. You're you're a teacher. You're you're a doctor. You're a firefighter. You are working in supermarkets. Remember all those people stocking the shelves? Everybody else was too afraid to go into the office, but there they were stocking the shelves. Angry customers. Why isn't there more of this? Why isn't there more of that? Where are all the diapers? Where's all the toilet paper? I don't know, ma'am, but I'm doing my job here. And uh, where was their bonuses? Where was their uh, care? They kept showing up. Well, the Indiana Democratic Party does not give a damn about them unless they're union. Because what the Democratic Party wants from union membership is union dues. So they can get better funding for themselves. They tell you this time and time and time again. I, I got to double check if, if how, how big that conversation is in Bloomington or, or, or in Fort Wayne. You know, we're on WGCL in Bloomington. We're on WoWo in, in Fort Wayne, South Bend on MNC. We're heard across the state. And I wonder, because I can point you to a city county councilor in Indianapolis by the name of Allie Brown who favored a a hotel being built because it meant good union jobs. Not good jobs. Jobs don't matter to the Democrats on the Indianapolis City County Council. What matters is union jobs. And that is not because, well, they provide a better wage and a better life. No, it's because they, through the dues that they force collection on from the rank and file, those dues end up in the pockets of progressives like Allie Brown. That's why the idea that it is union jobs, the idea that it is union that, this, that, and the other, they're fighting to increase, Democrats are fighting to increase union membership. Why? What's the point of union membership? Well, it means that the working class is better taken care of. Does it? Because we don't think it means that. You could argue that there could have been a time in American life where it meant that, but I don't think you could say that today with a straight face. You can only say that today with an ideological push and a flat-out lie. It is not the same world as it was 40 years ago. And one should ask whether union membership provides a value. Considering that union membership only goes one way politically and wouldn't allow you to speak any other way. Unions that don't allow for secret ballots, and you know this is true, there are unions that say no to secret ballots. What do they call it? Card check? I forget what they call it. That's a card check. Do you know what card check is? Card check is saying you don't have the right to have secret ballot. You only can vote if if we get to see who you voted for so we know how to punish you. The editorial board, I didn't know this until right now. You may have heard me typing. I was literally looking it up because I couldn't remember it was called card check. This is Wall Street Journal. September 1st, the National Labor Relations Board rewrites labor law to deny secret ballot elections. The headline, and union card check by the back door. This is from the editorial board on September 1st. I mean, that's just wonderful timing right there. That's unions. Now, it's all really coming to a very interesting head because there's multiple places where unions are on strike. Of course, you have the Writers Guild. And then you have uh, the Screen Actors Guild. 
and you're about to have uh, the, the UAW, United Auto Workers. And I must admit, it's not that I'm opposed to them saying, hey, we want more money. But this is Sean Fain, who is the president of the United Auto Workers. Check out this statement that he makes on CNN. While I appreciate President Biden's optimism, uh, I hope the big three get serious and start bargaining in good faith. Um, uh, we're ready to do whatever's necessary uh, to get our share of economic and social justice for our members. And Game over. Economic and social justice. What, what, what is that? That's, that's, that is nothing that the rank and file is interested in. I'm not saying there might not be a member here or there, but what they want is uh, to get paid more per hour. What they're looking for are a couple better benefits. Then While they may have voted for a strike, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find union members who are excited about going on a strike. Sean Fain wants a 32-hour work week, and then he wants to have a, a much bigger increase in retirement uh, benefits, and then he wants a 40% pay increase. Then he wants COLA, cost-of-living adjustments. He's not going to get all this. He's going to put the big three out on strike. They're not going to get all this. I, You know it and I know it. They're not going to get all of this. And what's his answer to try and rally the troops? Well, we got to get our share of economic and social justice for our members. Those are leftist buzzwords. Those are progressive buzzwords. Proving that the union is right now not in very good hands because they're not in the hands of somebody who's actually trying to negotiate something better for the rank and file. They're shooting the moon and figuring that their Democratic allies will put pressure on the big three to get this done. And A, the adversarial returns, but B, the focus is not where it should be. The focus is we want this and we want to build the union so we can fund our Democratic friends. And the rank and file will get what they get and that's it. This, it, it, if that statement in and of itself, we want to get our share of economic and social justice for our members, who is that being said for? The rank and file? The people who work the factories in Marion and Fort Wayne in Indiana? There, do you, I'm asking, are the people who work the floor in Marion, Indiana, and in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for let's say General Motors, are they looking for their share of economic and social justice? If you were to ask them that, would they say yes? Oh my gosh, that's the whole reason to go on strike. Or is the answer, well, what I'd actually like is a retirement that offers me this, this, and this. What I really want is to see if I can get some better health benefits in that retirement. Man, that would be sweet. Economic and social justice. That is the statement, the de facto understanding. That the objective is not the rank and file. The objective is for the union to find more ways to support their Democratic cohorts because that way the, 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 the wheel keeps turning. The, what the union member gets, secondary. Make it sound good and then help Democrats force more union membership. That's exactly what you got from the Indiana Democratic Party. Force more union membership. Don't give a damn about people who actually labor. You were willing to throw the nurses away. You said you're villains a year ago. Heroes work here. What, they're still, they're still not heroes? 
they're still not heroes? They still didn't put themselves on, on, on a limb? Now you can say to me, hey, Tony, people died from COVID, but let's let's slow down. You're talking about people who worked every day amongst all of it. Maybe they had some other things to worry about that you didn't. Just, just stating a fact, they could have had some other things to worry about that you did not. And certainly they lived through the insanity of the hotel of the hotels, of the hospitals being slammed. Now they're the bad guy? Holy hell. That's the Indiana Democratic Party. But they don't care about that frontline worker. They care that that frontline worker is unionized and pays their dues and does what they're told and shuts up. After all, we're providing you a better life. Why don't you just say thank you? Good Lord. It, it is no wonder to me why the Indiana Democratic Party doesn't win any statewide elections. Now, I'm not saying that they won't because they at least understand that you have to run somebody for every race. They're not like the Republican Party of Indiana that has yet to figure this out. But what a, what a thing. They're telling you who they are. The unions are showing you exactly what they're all about. And the Indiana Democratic Party doesn't see them as frontline workers. It doesn't see them as people who are building the middle class. They are nothing more than forced donors. And that is the only reason the Democratic Party pays attention to them at all. They don't care about them as people. They care about them as checkbooks. They've told you so. And maybe Democrats in Indiana should do something about that. I'm Tony Katz. So all of us need boosters. Um, so at six months of age and up, uh, we're going to have boosters by the end of this month, hopefully. And those will protect, we believe, very strongly against these new versions of the virus. The virus will continue to change. COVID and flu shots can be had at the same exact time. If you're over 60 or otherwise medically high risk, because we've talked about, you can get that RSV vaccine, a new vaccine, now so get that now if you're over 60 or medically high risk end of the month into early october you can get the covid booster and the flu shot not yet available they will be updated for the uh, current versions that are existing and circulating in our environment by the end of the month early look if you want to get a covid vaccine you go right ahead but i'd check with your doctor and i wouldn't be listening to dr vin gupta of msnbc me I wouldn't be listening. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find it all. TonyKatz.com. Good God. We're really going to do this. We're really. It's, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, there's another vaccine out there. It's another thing to say, my gosh, you need to get this. No, 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 you don't. What you need to do is be proactive with your doctor. And be like, okay, seriously, what are we looking at here? And what should we do? Trusting the people on TV is an absolutely terrible idea. Absolutely terrible. We should not be trusting the people on TV. We've been through this. We have been through this and we have been lied to and we have been treated like garbage. Let us not do it again. We saw what COVID did. And the vast amount of people lived. And some people absolutely died. And some people who got vaccinated died. And some people who got vaccinated lived. And some people who got vaccinated had some issues. And some people who got vaccinated didn't. I mean, that's it. 
You you can add all your politics to what you want. I don't really care. I'm telling you what is. There it is. You know what matters? You and your doctor making a decision about whether or not you inject something into yourself. I will say this. Any employer who's like, well, you got to have this vaccine to, to work here. Man, there's a play, there is a place in hell for those CEOs. And I know I'm putting myself at risk on that one. You can't force it. You could say, we think it works. We think it's a good idea. No forcing. And I wonder whether or not this time around, you'll have more people say, yeah, I'm willing to leave the gig. No, nah, I'm not doing it. Nope, won't be a part of it. Nope. I'm willing to risk it. I wonder, go the other way with me. How many CEOs say, look, we've been through this already. We're not forcing anything. All we're gonna do is tell you, Here, here's what we think. And we're not even gonna do that. We're gonna say, check with your doctor, have a nice day. Because we know that taking the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. We already learned this, and I'm going to assume that these boosters are all the same. You can still spread COVID even if you're vaccinated. It's about lessening symptoms within you, and that's totally up to you based on the data. That's for you and your doctor. And I hope CEOs remember that. And I hope that politicos remember that. But you have to absolutely remember it and not listen to these people on TV. They're going to keep saying it. They're going to fill the, the the minutes, fill the hours, fill the days, and they'll fill it with whatever they think can actually drive listeners and fear can drive listeners. Don't do that. Don't be a victim of fear. Don't be a victim of their campaign of control. You check with your doctor, see if it's right for you. My God, I sound like one of those commercials. <laughs> I'm assuming, Do those commercials pay good? Do they pay like the progressive lady? Because Flo makes bank. Flo has made millions. I could do one of those commercials. Sure. Seriously, you're in charge of your medical future. You're in charge of your medical now and that of your kids. Don't let anybody force you into anything. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.